Welcome to the Crushing Cashflow Podcast, where we share phenomenal advice and dozens of decades of wisdom from investors and entrepreneurs of all types and all stages of their journeys. We'll cover many forms of cash flowing assets, such as real estate, stock investing, entrepreneurship, and general finance guidance. Listen in and learn from those who are crushing it out there, as well as those who have been crushed by business or their investments. Now here's your host, Andrew Shutsky. Welcome back to another episode of Crushing Cashflow. I'm your host, Andrew Shutsky, and with me today is John Kasman. John has helped many busy professionals invest in over $90 million of apartment buildings. He is the host of Target Market Insights, which is a, a show about multifamily and marketing podcast and works with active and passive multifamily investors to grow their portfolio. Quick introduction, but uh, much, much experience here. So thanks for joining, John. I really appreciate it. Hey, Andrew, thank you for having me on the show today. Absolutely. My pleasure. So first and foremost, tell me about you. What makes John Kasman, John Kasman? How do you set yourself apart? Well, I mean, I think the first thing is don't worry so much about setting yourself apart, you know, try to be your authentic self. And for me, you know, as I think about who I am, we were talking briefly before we hit record, but I'm a guy who lives in Cincinnati, but I'm from Cleveland. I'm originally from Cleveland. Uh, I'm a dad of two boys, seven and five. And, uh, you know, I, I was a former corporate America guy, you know, I was in marketing for 15 years and I went from being marketing full time. I really did not have control over my, my schedule. Um, quite frankly, my, my career security was tied to, you know, accounts or, you know, uh, things I couldn't control. So there's always a little bit of, uh, fear and, you know, maybe some, uh, some uncertainty involved there. And I transitioned from that from that experience to being a full-time real estate investor where I help other busy professionals invest in real estate. And for me, um, I spent 15 years in marketing. So when I realized that real estate is really just another business, I was able to tap into that marketing experience to leverage and help me build kind of our brand and build a business that allowed me to work with other folks and attract the right people to, uh, to do business with. So I got to ask, what's it like, as many people have asked, you know, friends of mine, what's it like to jump from full-time, the comfort of the, I guess, comfort in uh, overcoming the fear of leaving your full-time job, going into the unknown, which is, you know, full-time investing. What was it like? What was going through your mind at that point? It's interesting you say the fear, because for me, it was the opposite. And to understand that, I have to take you back to 2008. I worked at General Motors when we went through bankruptcy during the last economic recession. So I was used to seeing my bosses on the TV talking about basically my job security every day. So the anxiety that that built in me at that time, thinking about job security, and I got through that. I stayed there another two years and I thrived at that company. But I knew at that moment, it doesn't matter where you work. At any moment, you could be at a company where you know things just don't pan out. And even worse, or not worse, but something that is maybe more applicable. Let's say you work for a company where you don't have financial challenges. Well, you still have the politics. What if you're not someone's guy or not someone's girl? And as you rise up in corporate America, that becomes a more important thing. You know, when you're a junior level person, you're fine. But when you're talking about the director level and trying to get up to the C-suite and that, you know, that, that level, well, you got to be someone's chosen one. You know, you got to align yourself with someone and in a place like that. I watched someone who was chosen by one person get a huge promotion, move her family across the country, 
not chosen by the next person, not my guy, not my girl. Guess what? Shipped him to Shanghai. And I'm watching this and I'm like, oh, this is crazy. You know? So, I mean, for me, it was less about the fear and it was more about taking control because I didn't feel like I had control. Even when I was on the agency side, you know, I had some control because I was leading these accounts. But if at any moment my clients decided they wanted to move their business to another account, well, guess what? I could be exposed. I was savvy enough and good enough to be able to navigate that. But a lot of people, it's just it's a numbers game. I mean, sometimes they can only keep X amount of people. And if you lose a big account, there's going to be layoffs. And working at an advertising agency, we went through that multiple times a year. Even if it wasn't me personally, if we lost a piece of business, the first question is, well, what are you going to do with the people who work in that business? Either there's room to put them on other accounts or you have to let them go or you, you know, swap. So for me, just living that life for, you know, 15 years, it was never about fear of, you know, I, I never settled. I was never comfortable to just kick my feet up and let the checks come in. And I, I've told a long story, but if I could tell a brief story to help just crystallize that. When we went through bankruptcy and we did a big round of layoffs at GM, one of the guys who got let go left a voicemail to me and he had worked with the company for 22 years and he did everything the way we're taught to do it. And the generation before us was taught to do it. Get a good job, work until you retire. He was 22 years in. There was no plan B. There was no passive income streams. There was no you know, supplemental income. There was no updated resume and always testing the market. No, he had worked there 22 years, probably planning on working another eight, retire and, and kick back. Well, guess what? That plan got snatched away. So that was early in my professional career. So for me, I never bought into that. You know, So I was always looking for a way to control my income, the way I made money and things like that. It wasn't so much about being an entrepreneur. I love in real estate. It was just like, I didn't feel secure in my day job, no matter what. So I, I mean, I was a great employee out of fear, you know, it was just, yeah. I, I, I stood out because I was fearful that any, if I didn't bring it, I would, I could be that guy on the chopping block. So, I mean, I, I shined because of those things. Yeah, it's interesting. That's a great perspective. And I guess it depends on your experience, right? What happened in your past and what, what your experience has been. But it's funny, a, a lot of people I talk to are like, hmm, I'm in this comfy space. And, uh, you know, I don't want to leave the golden handcuffs versus, you know, if the timing was 2008, 2009, when we had the Great Recession, then your perspective and mindset are going to be a little <laughs> bit different. And I find that it's a lot of the sales guys I deal with always are under a tremendous amount of pressure um, because they, they're, they're, there's not a lot of uh, room for negotiation around hitting your targets, right? Whereas like if you're in more of the design and engineering space, I think things move a little bit slow, more slowly that way. So maybe that could be part of the perspective as well. But I'm, I'm curious. So there's many things you could have done where you could be a business owner. What drew you to real estate specifically and, and why do you like it so much? I, you know, like many of your listeners, I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad um, while I was in school. And for me, the conceptually, it just made sense. Real estate is simple enough for most people to be able to understand it. The other thing is it didn't require me to be full time right away. Mm. And there wasn't something that I was so passionate about that I could jump into. You know, if you're going to start a business, I feel like you should love your business. Mm. And I sat there and I thought about it. I was like, well, what can we build? You know, what, what do I want to create? And that was challenging versus guess what? There's some buildings that already exist. You got to live somewhere anyway. Why not buy the building, rent out the other stuff and make money on it that way. And real estate was something that I just felt was very tangible. Yeah. Um, you know, banks lend on it. Like, you know, it's just something yeah. that 
I think people understand. And it was that I set out to be like a full-time real estate professional. It was just, I, I started solely investing. I was really intrigued by real estate and I liked what it could add. Um, and if there were other businesses that would have made more sense, I would have probably have done those. But for me, real estate just made sense. And because I can network and meet other people who are investing in real estate, there were plenty of books about it. I mean, real estate has been around for hundreds of years. So this is a tried and true thing. This wasn't like me launching a YouTube channel and deciding yeah. I'm going to monetize this and be a YouTuber, right? Like I'm not that kind of guy. And for me, it was about supplementing, you know, this was, this was not the risk, but this was supposed to supplement the job. So I wanted something that I could kind of predict to an extent versus, you know, just throwing something against the wind and hoping it blows up at some point. So I just like the the tangibility of real estate. I thought it was, um, you know, processes involved, plenty of books around it, podcasts, a lot of information about how to be successful. And then for me, it was a matter of, OK, take this and I'll put it into to action, you know, apply this. And that's what, what happened. And I can relate to the tangibility thing. I mean, there's so many things in life that are just kind of conceptual, ambiguous, and there's something to be said about being able to touch and feel what you're putting your money into, right? So I think that that's pretty common. You hear that a lot. So how long ago did you make the jump uh, into full-time investing? Yeah, we've been full-time for a few years now. So um, for me, part of what helped was, (laughs) you know, I was actually... um, I went when I went to the agency side uh, or back to the agency side, I did so very deliberately because I knew I wanted to focus on being an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. And at the time, I thought I wanted to run my own agency. That's what I thought I was going to do. And as I got more and more into being a senior executive at an agency, I realized more and more that I did not want to run an agency or at least it wasn't going to be the the lifestyle that I was looking to create. So with real estate, as we've built our portfolio, started working with other investors, helping other people out to get started, both on the passive side, and then also educating people with my own podcast, uh, with the meetups and events that we were doing, I started to realize that, you know what, there's, there's more we can do in this space. The big thing though, was once I moved from Chicago, that's when I was, you know, officially kind of cutting the cord to say, you know what, yeah, um, mm-hmm. this is the move. I was working remote was kind of, we kind of had a partnership worked out where I was kind of working remotely before everyone else was working remotely, Mm -hmm. but I was able to work remotely for a little bit, but it's just tough. You know, and I think that there's, again, the, the, the corporate dynamics, you know, if you got one person working remotely and everybody else is coming into the office, I'm sure that there are things that uh, just didn't play well with others. So uh, we made the move. And for me, it was great because it allowed me to be more, um, really just deliberate with what we're doing because when you're when you're working full time it's tough to manage your time on you know your side business you've got to manage how vocal you can be about what you're really doing and what started to happen too is as more and more people knew what i was doing in real estate you know, they, they say little things, you know, and, yeah. and everyone's got jokes, but, oh, you know, Mr. <laughs> real estate mogul and whatever. And, and it went from the little, you know, smirky comments to, you know, the underlying tone being like, Hey, how much time are you spending on this versus how much time are you spending on that? Right. Yeah. And as the tone started to shift, the writing I knew was, was on the wall. And this wasn't like my superiors. This is my, my peers, And that's when I knew like, okay, that means this conversation is happening at multiple levels with people. So that, you know, it was, it was time and it was like, you know what, you got to be ready. So uh, I was proud and happy of how I did it. My work never suffered. Uh, But I don't say no, people make their own perceptions. So. 
Yeah, it's always a consideration, right? You got to be mindful of that at any level. So I'm curious, you know, let's fast forward a few years. You've made a lot of progress, 90 million plus in assets under management. What does your first deal look like compared to your most recent one? And what did you learn? So what was your big takeaway from there? Well, I think the biggest thing for me is like when you look at that first deal, I mean, our first deal was a, a duplex, you know, we we house hacked. The first deal we worked with other investors on, um, you know, multifamily wise was a 192 unit deal in San Antonio, Texas, where okay. we uh, we partnered with some other operators to 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 be general partners on that deal. Um, you know, we were literally closing as I'm speaking. I'm hoping to get a, a message here. We're closing on a deal right now as we're we're doing this interview. So, um, the deals. <laughs> thank you. Um, the deal shift in uh, scope and size and, and all of those things. I think the the big thing is understanding how to protect yourself. You know, when you think about crushing cash flow, and I love the name of the show for that reason. But when you think about crushing cash flow. You have to look the other way and say, well, what are the cash flow, you know, biters? Like, what are those things yeah. that come up and steal cash flow? And people make big mistakes on a few things. So there's three big things where people make a mistake when they're making their projections and they're looking for cash flow. Um, I'll get into one right now, but I'm happy to share the other two if anybody wants to reach out. One is Uncle Sam, your taxes. And when it comes to taxes, you have to understand that taxes get adjusted and those reassessments can absolutely cripple a deal. Um, I'm in Ohio, as we, we talked about, and in the state of Ohio, property taxes can get reassessed. But a, a lot of times the brokers won't tell you this and the properties are not assessed at the current market value. So I've seen deals where your taxes could literally double. You know, the moment you close on that property, they can sure, double easily, easily. And and if you don't underwrite to that 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 assumption, it can crush your cash flow. So taxes is one of those things you have to pay close attention to if you're looking to cr crush cash flow. I think it's a really important thing, um, and it's something that we learn is just again as you do deals, there got to be the things that you've got to make sure are tight and strong. And and taxes is just one of those aspects. Yeah, absolutely. There's there's the big stuff, taxes, insurance. There's a lot of variables that can be out there that can for sure bite you and, and restrict cash flow. What would you say has been your biggest learning moment over the last few years? Lean into what you do well. Uh, that's one of the things that's helped me tremendously. And what I mean by that is, you know, when we try to go on and you buy properties and you're an operator, there's a lot that goes into it. Think about the syndication process. You have to find a deal. You have to analyze the deal. You have to negotiate the deal. You have to get the deal under contract. You have to go through your due diligence process. You have to raise the capital from investors. You have to go through all the paperwork, all the PPM documents, all that kind of stuff. You have to, you know, um, get the title company together, all of your partners, your vendors, you know, finish up your due diligence, all your inspections, get the money in the bank account, close yeah. on the property, actually manage the property, manage the property manager. There's so many steps involved. And if you believe that you can do this by yourself or, you know, you're trying to take on things that you're not necessarily good at or have good experience with, you're setting yourself up for, for disaster. And for me, Sometimes you don't know what you don't know, but as you get into this process, you have to be self-aware and recognize that, you know what, I can do that, but there are people who are better than me, or I can do that, 
but I'd rather delegate that because I need to focus on the things that are really important. So sometimes someone else doing something at 85% or 90% quality is better than you doing it at 100% quality. Because if you do it at 100%, what are you missing? And this is the same thing with being a CEO, right? If you're an entrepreneur, if you are wearing every single hat, how fast can you really run? You know, so you have to have a team, you have to have other folks that you're working with if you want to be successful, if you want to grow and building that team is really the most important thing for me. Um, we just we spent a lot of time recalibrating the team because you find folks who you think are good and, you know, you get into it and you realize they're not as good as you, you thought they were and you have to adjust. So I think the key is just always being willing to learn, always being willing to test always being willing to adjust and continue to grow. And if you're willing to yeah. do that, you're going to make some mistakes here and there, but you can overcome those mistakes for the long haul. Couldn't agree anymore with that. And one of the things I get asked frequently, I'd love to get your take on this is, you know, how do I find out what I'm good at? That's what somebody asks me all the time. And I have my own way. I have my own answer. I'd love to get your perspective there. That's a good question. You know, one of the things you want to do is look at your own experience. What do you enjoy? Um, what have you done in the past? Where have you had success? But also ask other people. You know, one of the things that has always helped me is just asking other people those kind of questions because they will tell you what you're good at. And a lot of times people use it against themselves. So you want to ask multiple people, right? Um, because you want to get a fair assessment. And what, what I found out is uh, when you ask that question, people give you feedback on what they think you do really well. They'll tell you what they admire about you, which I think is always very interesting. Um, and it may not be the thing that you're thinking about. Uh, one of the things people say to me is that, you know, you stay pretty calm and I mean, this doesn't sound like a, an attribute that you <laughs> build a business off of. Right. But I think when you're dealing with personalities and you're dealing with chaotic situations, high it's stress, huge. pressure situations, anxiety kicking in, you've got, you know, whether it be back in the agency days, you got creatives and I've got clients and we got a deadline to meet and we can't quite nail this idea, keeping everybody level-headed so that they can produce their best work. They can think through those problems that they don't take things personally and get emotionally attached to a, to an outcome. You know, that's a skill. And it's something I hadn't really thought about in that, that, that view, you know, I've always looked at it as more helping to facilitate, but I haven't really looked at it as a, a strong soft skill, that allows me to stand out. And it is. And I've, I didn't know that until other people really kind of shared that with me. So that helps me when we're dealing with property managers, asset managers, my partners, who's uh, one of our lead asset managers, um, other partners, you know, multiple limited partners are investors, right? So just understanding that you're going to have some people who are, you know, all over you, they need an update, you know, constantly yep. <laughs> some folks who won't open an email and i'm like hey man like are you okay everything good it's like yeah <laughs> man I told you all good. so you know it's, it's different dynamics different personalities so being able to understand that helps but you you ask other people and then i think the key though is figuring out what you're not good at and what you need to to um i don't say offshore but you you're gonna have to supplement that yeah you're gonna have to delegate that thing that weakness um, you can try to make it as strong as you want, but your best bet is find someone else who's really good at it and see how they can help you with that, that skill set. I really like that answer and for, for many different reasons, actually, but um, that that's great. So I want to recap on a couple of things you, you hit earlier on what I liked a couple of the biggest mistake areas. You hit one out of the three 
Um, as we come to a kind of a close here, how to, how would someone get in touch with you to learn about those other two or to, to learn more about what you do and, and you, how you go about your day? Yeah, a couple things. You know, if somebody wants to chat and learn a little bit more, uh, first of all, uh, we put together a sample deal package on our website. So you can check that out and at least get a glimpse of how we approach a deal. It's not a real deal. It's just a sample, but it will give you a sense of how we think, you know. Um, so check that out at casmancapital.com slash sample deal. And if you'd love to chat, if you're on that website, you will see a link to book a time with me and just click that link, book 15 minutes. I'd love to chat with you. I'd love to talk to you more about kind of those three big issues that I see. We can also get into the three things that I think are paramount. If you are going to raise capital for real estate, you have to have what I call the three C's of raising capital. Uh, and I'm happy to just share a little bit more information. That's great. I think that appeals to you know someone who just might be looking to place investment or somebody might want to partner with you or someone looking to learn the business, right? Look, raise capital. So you're covering all the bases there. That's great. So thanks for joining, yeah. John. This has been really great, really insightful. Great. Lots of uh, years of wisdom packed into this last 20 minutes or so. Thanks so much for joining. Absolutely, Andrew. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. No problem. Thanks for listening in with us for another episode of the Crushing Cashflow Podcast. We have a small favor to ask of all of our listeners. Please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. Each subscription and rating will help us massively toward our goal of helping reach as many listeners as possible each week. Thank you very much once again for listening. We're thrilled to have you with us as part of this journey, and we can't wait to share more of these stories with you. Stay tuned for much more to come. 